Hey, Tim. How's it going? Hey, David. It's going. It's going pretty good. I can't complain. Sun's out. You know, it's starting to warm up out Guns here. Guns out. Guns out. You bet, bud. You bet. Oh, Very nice. which way to the beach? Which way to the beach? I've, I'm hitting, I think I'm starting week five of my workout now. So it's, it's good. Oh. I've lost some weight. I'm getting a bit fitter. Still not buff, but like fitter. So yeah. it's good. Nice. What are you doing? Uh, I hired a fitness coach. She's a strength trainer. Uh, nice. She's a world record holding weightlifter uh, of some Whoa. sort. And so she just gives me a routine each week, but I'm like very much at the basics to like mostly focusing on stability and that kind of stuff. So when right. I eventually do the weight training, I don't, you know, kill myself. Um, yeah. But it's been really good to have like, like assistance and a routine, yeah. and like a pseudo gym buddy and stuff. And it's like that video chat back and forth to keep me accountable. So it's been pretty sweet. I've yeah. Are, are, gy- are gyms open there or? Uh, I no, So all of the stuff I'm doing is at home. So I joked cause, uh, you know, I'm, so I have a bunch of different bands and then my like weights are cans and rice. So I just have a bag oh, full of cans nice. and rice and that's how I'm doing the, the like actual weight related stuff, but it's good enough for now. Cause I'm still moving quite often. So I don't oh, yeah. want to, there's no yeah. point of me trying to find a gym or something at the, at the moment. Yeah. You can, you can do a lot with bands and, and body weight. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the, there's really no excuse not to, stay fit or get into a fitness routine, even under lockdown, you know, if prison, if prison inmates can do it, we can definitely do it. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, so I was going to make a really, um, bad taste joke, but I won't. So instead I'll just say, um, what we want to talk about today is systemic racism. Um, yeah. and so I think it's an interesting topic. I think most of our viewers will find it fine for us to talk about it. But, you know, many people in the culture, broadly speaking, would say, oh, two white, two straight white males talking about systemic racism. Oh, this is great, right? Like, that's the the state of the culture. What Um, next? Abortion? Right. (laughs) Two men talking about women's rights and women's health issues. Um, But, yeah, so, I mean, I've been reaching out to some uh, non-white people to talk about race with me and stuff. Cause you know, I think it's interesting and important as well, but why in particular, did, I'm sure we must've talked about racism at some point in the past, but obviously like it's a big thing uh, these days. So what, what particular uh, did you want to talk about? Well, I wanted to uh, talk about, you know, what, what to make of, claims that there's systemic racism, how, how to think about this, how to explain current, the state of current kind of race relations in the world and all the tension, and, and to think if there's, you know, if there's a conceivable path forward here through all of this, you know, because for, for a while, I would say, okay, there's not really systemic racism in that I don't know very many people that are, uh, that are racist in at least in terms of, you know, maybe, maybe inwardly they are or something, but I I just don't see any of the people in my circles have any kind of animus towards um, other groups based on their race or anything like that. They're all uh, mostly seem to line up with the Martin Luther King idea of judging people by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. And so, um, you know, that, that was my conception of systemic racism was that there's, there's just racists out there in the world right. and, and, and there's a, a, a sufficient number of them that it's, that it's keeping minorities down or something. Well, and so I think that is kind of 
the error in how the culture's talking about it, right? Because that's right. the idea that most people kind of half hold. But I think it's important to be very clear on like what an actual proper claim of systemic racism would be. And it's interesting enough, I think there is systemic racism, but in a way that people don't claim it. So uh, what systemic racism would be, would be a system being racist. So what is a system, right? A system, you know, there's not an entity called this system. So what is a system? It's a set of rules, right? So systemic racism is when there's literal rules in place or policies in place, either in a culture, in a government, in, a, in an organization that are racist, right? So there used to be very much systemic racism when there was segregation laws and these sorts of things, right? That's what actual systemic racism is. Um, yeah. To say that there are racists uh, is to completely disregard, like to conflate that with systemic racism I think is completely improper, right? Um, because there will always be some racists. Um, and I think there's two other important points. So I said, I think there is systemic racism, but it's very much in the progressive sense of racist, right? Uh, like affirmative action is racist, right? right? Saying that blacks should get special treatment towards universities, that's racist. So the, all of the systemic racism that exists is actually from the progressive viewpoint. As far as I know, I'm sure there are still some, uh, you know, laws in some aspects that treat blacks unfairly, but I don't think they'd be codified to actually treat them that way, to actually be put in place, blacks cannot do this or, or whatever, right? But there are, from the progressive agenda, actual explicitly systemically racist policies. Um, right. And the, the one last thing I'll add is even about the idea of people are inherently racist or there's many racist people which causes like this culture of racism. Um, I don't think that's true largely, but even if it's true, the way you said, like they're not, they're not explicitly racist. They don't hold racist convictions consciously. Some people have what would be called implicit bias. And like, you know, they have a racist thought that comes up some once in a while. I have those too, but that's because of things I've been exposed to in the past. That doesn't mean anything about my character. That doesn't mean anything about the decisions I make. And so like there's three things that all get conflated here into just saying, oh, everyone's racist or the culture is racist. And I think you really have to split them each out and then talk about, okay, how do we deal with each of these things? But it's all just kind of packaged into, well, the culture's racist. Right. Well, okay. Sa save me here because I feel like I may be going delving into the progressive mindset a little bit. Um, you know, I spent some time in HR for example, part of my role there is to think about diversity and to think about, okay, what are the obstacles? Why is it that we have so few women in the fire service, for example, right? Um, well, it's because um, a good chunk of the, the women that try out fail the physical test. Is that right. because women are incapable of meeting the physical standard? I ask myself and I'm like, no, if you know, I like I tell my daughters, look, if you want to be a firefighter, you can be a firefighter, uh, but you are going to have to work harder than right. a typical man because you don't have that performance enhancing testosterone circulating in your system where, you know, a, a deep, reasonably in shape man can come off the bench and 
probably and, and have a good chance of passing physical a reasonably in shape woman can't you have to be in exceptional shape as a woman right. to pass it but you can if but one of, so one of the barriers if, if i'm thinking about it is okay look is there a psychological barrier first of all where you look at that as only men can do that job is that preventing you from trying is it that you don't understand maybe how to work out so one of my my programs that i was working on was um uh, like a, a fitness boot camp designed at kind of university age women that were going to be led by our female firefighters to show women that look you can be this fit this is right. something you aspire to anyways by by dent of going to all these fitness classes and trying to be a beast mm-hmm. uh, and, and if you work out in the correct way and with the correct program you could pass this physical test yeah. I, I wanted to plant that seed in their mind so that at least we we're getting more women trying out right. and and giving them the tools to succeed at passing that standard. Okay. So I look at this. So, so I'm coming at this from that perspective, because first of all, the very simplistic view of this, of this racial thing that's going on right now, especially in the States is look, uh, a disproportionate number of black men are, are getting arrested or having, are getting killed by police, that sort of thing. Right now, Mm -hmm. the conservative response to that is also reasonable. It's like, look, you're not looking at the whole picture. Um, That community commits something like 50% of the murder. So of course they're going to have more interactions with the police if they're committing more crimes. And and that's where their story ends. But then I'm going now another layer deeper and go, okay, why is it that they're committing more crimes? Is it because of something in their genes? Well, some white supremacists would say, yeah, it's something in their genes. I don't agree with that. I think maybe it's something in their culture. And where did that culture come from? Well, it, it just so happens that the, the two groups, at least, you know, in, in the U.S. that are most at risk for criminality, for drug addiction, for also happen to be the two groups that were most racially oppressed uh, through what I would call racial statism in the past, where the state right. implemented race-based laws like Jim Crow, like slavery, like uh planting people on reservations, like, you know, all, uh, yeah. even, th- even things like the minimum wage, uh, were, were, was a progressive set of rules designed to keep black people out of the workforce. Um, you know, the welfare state definitely ruined, uh, finished off the black community, you know, all, all yeah. these things uh, are, you know, could be contributed to this. So, so to me, yes, you're, you're right. It's that there, there, there was, certainly systemic racism in the past in that there was racial statism, something that that I call racial statism in that there's one set of laws for this race and another set for this race. And they were designed to oppress one race and bolster another Mm -hmm. in a sense. And that that has contributed in large part to a cultural decline in those communities that were oppressed. And now we are seeing the, the results of that play out. So, uh, that, that's kind of my take. What do you think of that? Rescue me. I'll rescue you. So two things come to mind, right? You touched on one. And so this Thomas Sowell, who is a, you know, black conservative intellectual, um, he has mentioned many times how, you know, black families in the black community did far better until 1960 when the welfare state destroyed the black family. So what, like they survived, uh, slavery, they survived Jim Crow, and then the welfare state came in and tore apart the family. And so the question is, what did that do to the culture, to the psychology, right, uh, of the community? Um, But regardless, both alternatives you posed 
This is what Ayn Rand would call the false dichotomy that's, you know, rampant in basically everyone's thinking is either someone's determined by their genes or by their environment, right? So the option is you're a white supremacist because you think this is just the nature of black people or you think, oh, but black, no, this isn't their nature, but they can't help it because they're in a system that makes them behave this way. So both of those are deterministic in, in the thinking. And there's an interesting hybrid too, right? So I was talking with someone on, um, I was talking with someone on Facebook, having like a bit of a debate, let's call it. And they said, well, like there's a history, right? There's a collective history of black people, which leads them to this. And that's also deterministic, right? right. right? To right. say that, oh, some sort of collective history then leads people to act a certain way. Well, then if that's true, I can decide that way is bad and then all blacks are bad, right? So as soon right. as you allow any determinism in, it validates the racist argument from either end, in my opinion. And so the real thing is there, people have free will. People choose to act the way they act. Each individual who murders someone is making that choice, right? There, I, I would doubt very many people actually have to choose I'm going to die or I need to kill this person. That's just not true. And I was talking with, uh, you know, a family member of mine. So, you know, I'm Jewish. Uh, Jews have been persecuted for a long time. And, you know, even when Jews were uh, in the West or in any culture, in literal ghettos and these sorts of things, you did not have the same degree of like Jews killing Jews, right? And, and instead of fighting and feuding, for the small pie that you know allegedly was there you work together to create new pies right that's the okay. free, you have a free market on a micro level jews would trade with each other and even if even when there was literal systemic racism you can build the the market within your own community and create the goods and serve your yourselves and so that's kind of where you know my thoughts go in terms of the the thing more broadly i have a couple more points but I, i'm interested to hear uh, what you have to say yeah well what comes to mind it though is that that doesn't solve the problem of determinism right because you still have to explain why there are disparities in this group versus that group or why a disproportionate number of individuals in this particular group and culture make different choices well, than it, people it in this philosophy in this they hold, right like that's the whole right premise. right okay and and that that's right and your philosophy is largely determined by your cultural environment Right. I mean, I, I was a Christian because that, well, that was so, the environment I grew up in. I, I wasn't a Muslim. Right. right. And so, I mean, the the objectivist notion of what free will is, is, you know, deeper than just like a simple choice you make. It's literally about how sure. you choose to use your mind. Um, yes. So yes. Like the average right. person. But, but, in, but he, in their environment. Yes. And right, so they're right. relatively determined. But I would argue psychologically, they can still know that they're like not questioning things, that they're just flowing through things. And at some point, yes. something for some people calls into question, no, no, why am I doing these things? So that option is always there, right? Yeah. Well, I, and I agree, you know, like I think that, um, you know, just on my own personal life, I was largely just playing out cultural programming for much of my life. Like I, right. I you know, I was essentially an automaton in some ways I still am, you know, I'm going to therapy right now and it's revealing all sorts of blind spots and triggers yeah. that I have that I just wasn't aware of. Now I've made a conscious effort to be 
to, to say, I don't want to be an automaton. I want to be right. a free thinking, free choosing, free will person who mm-hmm. self-actualizes. And so I need to re- take action to reveal these blind spots and reprogram myself consciously right. to make better decisions. And, uh, you know, so, so, so I'll, I'll say that I think for the most part in a large chunk of our life, we are automatons programmed by culture, by our family, by everything. And it takes quite a bit of effort and insight to, to engage that rationality to, to start being able to make choices and have some free will in our lives. So, uh, I think it's safe to say that, that cultures and, and, and this culture, we, we can say it was imposed I mean, it was imposed on these people as children by their family, but also on families by the state. I mean, we can make causal links to why and make have explanations as to why certain populations or cohorts have predictable uh, behaviors than others. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree with that. But it, uh, you know, but. So it's like at a macro level, yeah, you can say, okay, this is the philosophy that's being preached to this group of people, and most of them aren't questioning it, so they're going to act in certain ways. But I just want to clarify that you know, people will then leap onto the idea that it's actual determinism, and right. if you allow that, then racism is valid, right? If people are determined, racism is valid. Yes, um, yes. Right? And so it's important yep. to say people aren't determined, Absolutely. but it's tough. And so the whole idea is it's tougher for a young black kid who's been told his whole life that everyone hates him, that his life's going to be so tough, he'll never be able to achieve anything to actually break through all of that noise and achieve things. And you even see it with the black conservatives that they're deemed other, right? They're not part of the community. They're Uncle Tom's, right? They're not, like there's a lot of, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes ever is from a Childish Gambino uh, track uh, or song. I don't remember which song, but it says, every black you're not black enough is a white you're all the same, right? Mm. So the idea is as soon as you say, oh, but you're not acting black, then that's racism, right? That's the same thing that there is a certain way you should act. And so, you know, I don't know what the full uh, reasoning is as to why there's this culture, but you see it uh, very clearly, I think, that there. And, you know, the premise that I read from Thomas Sowell and others is that the left-wing statism really wants to keep Black people down. The Democratic Party wants to keep Black people down because then they need to be reliant on the state. And you're seeing that more broadly generally, right? But it's particularly potent for minority communities. Yeah, and I read an interesting piece uh, the other day about how, you know, most, most, much of slavery in in the world was kind of under the crack of a whip, right? Like you have these pictures of slave masters cracking a whip and these huge uh, populations of slaves, you know, working under terrible conditions. Mm. But in much of the American South, it was actually, you know, much smaller than that. There'd be maybe a, a handful of slaves or one or two slaves, you know, per household or plantation that owned slaves, let's say. And, they they were treated much more like children, like family members almost that were yeah. um, thought of fondly that were, you know, but, but they, they were looked at as essentially children, right? Like, like they were to be looked after, you know, yes, mm-hmm. they had to do work and stuff around the thing. But, and, and I think that in a lot of ways, that mindset 
is still exists, right? Like oh, I, I think of the We've called it the left wing yeah. racism. It's that patronizing. Yeah. We need it's to that take patronism. Care of these people. Right. You, you are separate from me and that you're a different color. I have white privilege. You don't, um, you know, it, it automatically elevates white people and says, you're never going to achieve that because you're, you're not white. Um, mm. and I'm going to check my white privilege for you. And I'm going to raise, in other words, this very, uh, patriarchal or, or patronizing view of other races that the yeah. left has. Now they have affection towards them. They want it, but they, they're constantly, it's, there's no doubt in their mind that they're supreme, that they're elite compared right. and, to And that's why they people, need to right? help these people because, oh, yeah. I'm so great. Look at how great I am. I need to right. help the lowly masses, right? And I think it's important to, you know, it's hard to psychologize a person, let alone, let alone an entire yeah. culture, right? But it seems that um, you know, again, Thomas Sowell said, and not that I'm a big fanboy, I've just been, you know, reading a lot of his at least tweets lately, he just, um, um, and he says like, he wouldn't even bother trying to talk to any of the black and like leaders of any of the black, like let's call it community groups because their whole incentive is to keep the community down. Right. And they, and there's what really is damaging to anyone is being coddled and being told you're determined. Right. So if, if I'm a young person and I'm told that you know, most of society explicitly hates me because of how I look. And if I'm told I can't achieve things on my own, I need assistance from the government, I need affirmative action, I'm, I can't work hard enough to get ahead because society is against me, existence is against me, how am I gonna feel about life? How am I gonna feel about getting ahead? How am I gonna feel about my relationship to existence when I'm told consistently that I cannot succeed? And yeah. then we're told, no, it's factually true. They can't succeed. Look at the evidence. And it's like, well, that's not how it works, right? Um, like existence is unbiased. Existence is a blank slate. And then it's, you know, each person chooses to act in the world. Um, and so for me, it's, it's interesting that it's not analogous uh, broadly to other minority groups, right? Um, and like other cultures don't seem to have the same issues and even other minority movements right in terms of getting rights and getting equal treatment even if like even just broadly speaking right you can the trans movement the gay movement had much let's call it quicker progress in their progressive agenda even than the black movement did right and so you can ask okay why even was that i think there's a few factors and you know it'll get off on a tangent but it's an interesting thing to think about too but for me it's you know who are you know, so Ayn Rand holds that philosophy shapes everything. So it's, and the intellectuals shape the culture's view of themselves. And so you have to look, yeah. who are the intellectual leaders of the black community? And, you know, what are they teaching people? And from my understanding, they're very much the same problems I think are infecting the culture larger, more largely and more broadly are just, you know, per- perhaps more potent in the, in the black community. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I've been doing is trying to listen a bit more, right, to, to see, if, is there something here I'm missing? Um, and I, I think probably there is, you know, like, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know what it's like to be 
a black person in this culture or a minority uh, because, you know, I, I'm in the majority uh, where I am. What, what would it be like if I was in Zimbabwe or some other place where I'm a minority and, you know, I got people looking at me constantly and, and treating oh, me a particular way. two months it sucked, right? Like traveling yeah. and being like the non-Spanish yeah. person was tough. Right. And so, you know, I've been trying to wrap my head around, well, you know, I probably haven't been as empathetic as I should be. And I probably have dismissed a lot of these claims um, because none of my white friends that I know of are racist. And, you know, we all talk about kind of progressive talking points and how racism is terrible and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, But at the same time, you know, I hear from some of my black friends and minority friends that some of the stuff that they've gone through, you know, I've gone through some of it too. Like I've had police draw guns on their gun on me. I've, I've been treated terribly by police. I've been turned down for a job because my skin was the wrong color. I mean, they explicitly told me that I've been uh, mobbed by uh, a, a group that identified me a, a number of times. I was just at white at the, at the wrong place at the wrong time and almost lost my life a couple of times because of it. Um, now, I, I don't know if that equates at all to what they go through. I mean, maybe they go through that on a more regular basis. Maybe at least I have a safe place where I, I feel comfortable, like I just need to get out of that environment and, and I can retreat and, and mm-hmm. feel better. Uh, they might not have that option. So I, I need to think a little bit about that. But I'm not sure necessarily how me having empathy helps them or what set of policies does. I think I think the answer to this at the end of the day, unfortunately, is once once you've removed all the racial statism, mm-hmm. um, I mean that seems like all you can do, and, and you know empathize and maybe call out racism when you see it. But is there anything more that can be done? Because I think at the end of the day, uh, it has uh, the the only answer, the only solution to get out of this is individualism, right? It's it's yeah. an individual taking personal responsibility to elevate themselves, to break the cultural narrative. And, um, you know, I I had to see myself as no longer a victim to break the PTSD I was having, for example, right? It was that victim narrative that was inflicting all the trauma on me. It wasn't the calls and all the shit I was seeing on the job and experiencing. It was what I was thinking about that. It was my Mm -hmm. perception of that. And that was colored by the narrative, the cultural narrative that was planted in my head. And until I disabused myself of that, I wasn't going to get any better. I wasn't going to succeed, you know? Yeah, but. I think I think you bring up some important points because, you know, I definitely have a tendency to kind of, let's say, shit on the left, right? right. It's important to also identify what the right is doing wrong and, and that there is actual there are actual problems to be dealt with still. Before I shift gears to that, though, because I think that's important to talk about privilege and these sorts of things, I have two last points that I want to kind of, you know, keep on the, let's call it conservative track. Um, one is like you said, you still had a safe place to go, even when you were leaving these dangerous places. Um, and a lot of black communities are the least safe place for black people, right? They have to ask why that is right. It's not white people coming and killing them like it was in the fifties and sixties maybe, but so it's like their, their theoretical home is the least safe place for them. So that's an important thing. But I think the individualism is the key of like, of course, and people have to take responsibility for themselves. And it's tough. So it makes me think of the analogy you brought up with the women, the female firefighters, right? It's going to be tougher, like you putting on your mind and, you know, breaking through all of the junk you've been fed your whole life, 
is difficult. And so it might be more difficult for the average yeah. black person to do that because they've heard more negative stuff, both from white people and from their own community. But imagine if Barack Obama, a black president, went up there instead of saying, yeah, blacks have it really bad, like we need to fix the culture. We, he's, he was an individualist, right? And you're seeing more yeah. and more uh, you know, black conservatives get kind of the light uh, or the time of day, but it's tough in the culture, right? There's, it's very yep. tough uh, in the media. But shifting gears, I yeah. do think it's important to note that, yeah, there are still definitely issues. There are still definitely like, I definitely hold the, the idea, the concept of privilege is valid, whereas I know many libertarians and conservatives don't, right? And I think the easiest way to conceptualize privilege for me is that there are things that I take for granted that I just never have to think about, right? And the, and, you know, the, the less I have to actively think about and weigh, the easier my psychology is, literally, yeah. right? So yeah. one example I recently heard is, you know, if you're gay, when in a relationship do you tell someone that? Do you say, hey, I'm David, I'm gay? Or if you right. wait too long, maybe they'll be offended that you didn't tell them right away. Or maybe you never. Yeah, and yeah. so that's some, let's call it a minor thing. It's a major thing for many people, but let's call it a minor thing. Yeah. That's consistently weighing on your mind, right? Yeah. That, that is yeah. always there. And that's, that's an anxiety, let's call it. And so the, sure. the less you have that, the more privileged you are is my sure. kind of conceptualization. But again, part of that is, yes, being, a, being the average just lets you kind of take things for granted, but also mm -hmm. being told that that stuff just doesn't matter, right? So the, the Buddhist answer is just whenever it feels right, whenever it comes up and trust that the other person cares enough about you that it won't matter and only have right. relationships with people like that. Right. Yes. And so yes. like that is the meta answer. But for most people, I totally understand that. And so when you think of, you know, a young black man who had, you know, whether or not it's true is consistently fearing for his life when he goes out. Right. Is consistently worried both about, you know, crime in his own community and God forbid, he has to call the police on that crime. And so even think, you know, whether yeah. or not it's a valid concern needing to consider Will calling the cops actually help or hinder this yeah. situation? So yeah. like, and I've never thought that, right? I mean, I've had right. almost every interaction I've had with police has been negative, but I never thought like fearful for my life or something. Um, right. And so again, you know, we're not going to go into the data now about whether or not it's true because, you know, all of the data I've interpreted says it's not true, right? White people are more likely to be killed by cops. But regardless, they're like, there is an issue there. And I do think regardless of, uh, you know, what stats disprove some aspects, I do think I have privilege as a straight right. white male of things that I literally, I was a 24 year old, 12 year old boy because I just never had had to face anything. But again, there's privilege yeah. from being in Canada. There's privilege from being intelligent. All, like there are many reasons on top of being a straight white male that I didn't have to grow up, right? Yeah, and yeah. So, you know, that's the yeah. way I think of it is how soon do you have to take responsibility for yourself and grow up? And, uh, you know, that makes me then think there's this type of black privilege. Well, like they're arguing you never actually have to do that because it's all someone else's fault. Which right, is right. Interesting. That's just me riffing. But. Yeah. Uh, 
a couple things come to mind here. Uh, one is uh, I'm, I'm thinking to, uh, you know, the, the female firefighters we have on the, our department, they had to work extra hard, um, you know, and they, they, they went through like grueling workout routines to, to get ready for the physical. They, you know, they felt like they had to prove themselves in a male dominated field and, and yeah. all that. Now those females in our department are some of the most respected firefighters in our department because of the attitude they hold because of the adversity they had to overcome. There's something about their character. They're super conscientious. They're super diligent. They go the extra mile. They are just better in terms of their character than a lot of us who just kind of coasted in there by dint of, of, you know, and and so, you know, there's also opportunity in hardship in some way, I think in terms of if you're able to overcome it and confront it, uh, you become a better version of yourself. And so what I take from that is, okay, what's the hardship? In what ways um, can I confront hardship and overcome it and become a better version of myself? Because that seems to be the secret sauce there rather than just kind of coasting along in my soft thing. And and then the other point I want to make is uh, it, it, it occurs to me like when I, when I was going through PTSD, that was because of my victim narrative in my head, mm-hmm. that, that PTSD was largely called by caused by this kind of progressive narrative that, yeah. that was endemic in culture. Now the conservative answer to that might've been, well, it's all your thoughts, stupid, just choose not to be that way. Right. right? And, and that would not have helped me. I would right. not have extricated myself. What I needed was an empathetic person, who wasn't imposing that victim narrative on me, but was just questioning my assumptions, but also doing it in a safe way that I felt like he cared about my best interests in that conversation. And he immediately extricated me from that victim narrative. So I think that there has to be some kind of empathy and, and uh, you know, the, you have to be in a, I, I think there's something to be said about empathizing and not, going with the victim narrative, but also not just saying, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstrap bucko. This is all in your head. Right. Um, there's, there's a way for me to take personal responsibility for this and have some help from an empathetic person. So those are the two points I wanted to make. Yeah. So I, I 1000% agree with the second point. Right. And I think that's really what I want to try and focus on, you know, for my life. Right. Like the whole idea for me is that the same way libertarians are the ones about personal responsibility They also need to be the ones about empathy, right? That is the middle ground that neither of the two sides do, right? And so it's like how I think individualism goes hand in hand, right? You have to take personal responsibility, but you also have to show yourself that empathy. You have to show yourself that it's okay to have made a mistake and it's okay to struggle and not get to the success. And so right now you just have, yeah, the victim narrative and the like, just get it done. Like, what are you bitching about narrative? And so you need the middle ground and so the libertarian types are the middle ground in other aspects. And so it's like, how do we bring that more feminine side, let's call it, to the middle ground as well? Um, and so I 100% agree. And I think that's so important. And again, it's not like it's easy, right? It's not like it's easy for some kid who grows up, in a, you know, in a tough part of Chicago or whatever to get over it and, you know, get into a school and work hard and know it's his own achievements and know that he earned it, even though there were you know, programs in place to help him, right? So it's like, it's tough from both angles now because they're literally, they're really, right. and I mean, you see it broadly in young people generally, they have no sense of self-worth because yeah, yeah. They, they don't know what they've accomplished on their own. And also 
they're just shit on consistently for like whining. Oh, you have mental health issues, get over it, right? So it's like they get both narratives and it's like they just have to, they don't know how to think about it. They just have to kind of arbitrarily pick which one do I choose? Am I a victim and woe is me? Or am I like a piece of crap who just can't get their crap together? And it's like they right. bounce between the two sides. Yeah, and you know that this in in my profession, you know, one of the ways that they look at PTSD from a progressive angle is we need more resources. We need this program or that program because the, all these poor victims are so oppressed by their job and all the calls they go on yeah. that they need we need more money thrown at this. And by the way, our mental health and suicide rates are skyrocketing because of at the same time we have all more resources and all these things that the progressives tell us are causing and inflicting trauma. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's the programs themselves that are helping inflict the trauma. So well, I mean, uh, that's why therapy generally <laughs> is quite dangerous actually. Right. Like I've talked right. to people who tell me what their therapist tells them and I'm like, Holy shit, that's wrong. Like if you listen to this therapist, you will be miserable for the rest of your life. Right. Cause there's no right. proper regulation of what their philosophy is. Right. I've heard someone tell me that a therapist literally says that they can't change anything about themselves and they just need to accept it all. And it's like, well, no, that's literally wrong. Crazy. And then, and so it's, 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 it's quite dangerous actually. Um, right. But it, one thing we can't get into, but it's just an interesting note and maybe we can think about it more is blacks actually have a much lower suicide rate. It's almost like suicide is literally like a privilege, right? Um, mm. Like you have like black, they have a very low suicide rate, which is interesting. That is interesting, yeah. Um, um, one, one, one thing I want to bring up, um, which I think is important as well, again, you mentioned the female firefighters and how they had to work harder and they're better people because of it, right? And I think I don't, I don't buy the idea that like you should seek out uh, struggle just for struggle's sake, right? Like I think you ahead. shouldn't scare, like be scared away from it. But yeah, they definitely couldn't just kind of like laze into being a, poli- a fireman, right? Whereas, you know, many men can, right? Um, And so I think it's important to note that there's this egalitarianism in our culture, right? That's everyone, everyone should be equal. So it shouldn't be that, you know, X person has a harder time accomplishing Y goal. Everyone should have the same exact ability to accomplish the goal, right? And that is completely wrong. And that is like just hugely prevalent in our culture. Right. So the idea would be, no, the, the standards need to be lower such that men and women can laze into it equally. Right. Um, and so yeah, it's like, yeah, no, yeah. If, if you choose a goal that is tougher for you for some reason, it's easier for me than many other people to do certain things because of my intelligence, because of my privilege, let's call it. And that's just a fact of reality. The same way it's easier for a seven foot tall guy to make the NBA. Right we shouldn't say the nets have to be lower because I should have the same fair chance of making the NBA. Right. Right, But there's this idea in much of society that no, everyone has to have the same opportunity. So it's wrong and sexist that women have a harder time being, they have the same opportunity, but not the same outcome. Right. And that's the debate. Is it, you know, equality of opportunity or equality of outcome and the push is for equality of outcome. Whereas really it needs to be, most of the time, equality of opportunity. And that's the big thing is, no, it's not that necessarily right away, it'll be the same number of blacks getting into Harvard as everyone else, because they have 
they do have worse education systems in their neighborhoods and there are a lot of other things at play, but the idea is that we can just kind of ham fist and force everything to be equal. One is wrong and not possible. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, we're like fire hoses weigh what they weigh and are the size they are because fires are the size they are. I mean, we can't make them smaller. We can't make people lighter. There are physical requirements that you need to do to be a firefighter. You need to be able to get the hose into the house in a certain amount of time based on science, based on fire spread and all that kind of stuff. And modern construction material, you need to be able to haul out a 200 pound guy out of that fire. You need to, you know, there are certain things you need to be able to do. Those standards are just what you need to do the job. And, um, you know, if you can make the standard, great. It shouldn't matter what sex, race, whatever you are, but you should need to make that standard. Uh, Otherwise, you shouldn't be in this business. Yeah. And what comes to mind is like, again, the issue with, uh, not again, but the issue with universities, right? There's like, you know, there's standards of this is the amount of work that it takes to accomplish this degree. So I studied engineering. And there's this pushback, like, no, I should be able to take twice as long if that's what I need. Anyone should be able to get this degree. And so I need twice as long as you to get it. I need twice as long on the test. That doesn't mean I'm worse than you. I just need twice as long. And it's like, no, but this is a mental activity, right? This is like this, you know, I'm not saying it's as high stakes, but there are standards, right? But there's this idea of, no, there's no such thing as a smarter or better person you just happen to take twice as long to do the work, right? Um, and right. so it's like this complete, there's like fights within some departments of the university of what do you actually do with this? Can do you actually give people unlimited time to get their degree, unlimited time on a test, if they get a note from a doctor saying they need it? Maybe they're just not well suited for this field, which is acceptable, but um, like you don't have to be this uh, in this field. But it's, it's just this, this mentality is everywhere, right? So it's really... Uh, it's an important point uh, with the the whole race thing as well, right? They say it's systemic because, you know, oh, but they can't necessarily accomplish this right now to the proper degree or proportion or whatever. Right. And, you know, there's something to be said about examining the standards sometimes, you know, if it's green, if it's screening out a large number of people that might be good candidates, right? So if you take twice as long, like if, if you take twice as long to write the exam, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be less able to do the job because in real life, you're not writing exams. You're doing something yeah. cognitively maybe and, and physically at the same time. So you can take a look and see, well, okay, is the time it takes to do the exam really an important factor? Does it translate into better performance at work? You know, you, you can look at those standards. And I think that is a good thing to do because, you know, like I said, there we have our standards. It's well thought out, but maybe there are some barriers that we can address for why certain people that might make excellent candidates aren't even bothering to try out. Right. And, and, Oh, I 1000% agree. And this comes to why we need a free market because we shouldn't have, you know, 10 people in a room deciding what the standard is. We should have a free market where people come up with their own standards and the best standards win out. And maybe you shouldn't have any tests, any exams in university. I passed all of my exams without any effort. It didn't help prove I would be a good engineer at all. Maybe one fire department, there'd be a lot of women candidates and they'd be incentivized to create technology that would help them lift heavier weights because there's so many good female candidates who just can't be regular firefighters right now. 
Right, right. right. And so you need a free market because, yeah, there's no such thing as the best, the right standard for any task. There's many standards and it's about how do you accomplish a goal? And so you need uh, the freer you have, the freer market you have, the more variability you have in those standards. Whereas, again, they're just trying to force some sort of flat standard or lesser standard so everyone can meet it instead of breaking it up and letting the free market have many standards in most of uh, the systemic issues, quote unquote. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's important to note as well that, you know, there's been much written about the the topic of how free markets break down racist attitudes as well, yeah. right? Because it turns out people value, they, they love profits more than they hate uh, races well, or something like that, right? Well, that's the story of the Jews, right? Like they right, were always right. hated. They just traded with themselves and got really good at whatever they did. And people were eventually they're like, all right, I guess we'll deal with them, Right. Uh, like, right. I don't even know why I hate them. I was just raised in a society that says I shouldn't like them, but like, yeah. they're helping like this me dude right now. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. And this dude doesn't seem as bad as he, I thought. And, right. you know, next thing you know, the kind of racial uh, prejudice is, is kind of dissolving because you're dealing with an individual who's face to face with you and there's right. a mutual benefit happening. So yeah, I need to point that out, but cool. Well, I think that covers it quite broadly. I'm glad that it actually just kind of naturally came to the free market is, is, is a major part. What are the answers, Tim? Resp- personal responsibility, empathy, and the free market. We've solved life. I think so. Yeah. I think, I think that, uh, that wraps it up. I can feel comfortable that I've solved problem of racism. All right. Thanks, Tim. That's all I need to do. Bye.